Auckland Museum is hosting an international exhibition of ancient Greeks and ancient Greek things, which has travelled here from the British Museum. 170 objects. One chance to witness the exhibition. 2,000 years in the making. Carefully curated by the British Museum with our input, but, but principally it's their show. A long time ago... But not long enough ago, and it's not still very relevant. <laughs> Everyone in Britain got in a big old boat, and we set sail, and we robbed... Uh, this will sound far-fetched. Everyone in the world! These are all stunning pieces of art. Do you know what's common between them? They're all present in the British Museum. Or should I say the British Warehouse of Loot? And we got all the swag, didn't we? And we took it back to old Blighty, and we hid it... This is the clever part. We hid it... In a museum. <laughs> Kia ora, I'm Alexia Russell, and on the detail today, museums are changing. But some of them aren't changing fast enough for those who want pilfered indigenous objects and treasure returned to where they came from. People like Alice Proctor, who's agitating for Greece's Parthenon marbles to be returned to Athens. Museums, and particularly museums in Britain and kind of the cultural West, are not the only sources of authority when it comes to cultural artefacts. Museums in colonising countries are under pressure to return the stuff they either stole, borrowed without permission or obtained under dubious circumstances. It's a question that museums around the world struggle with. Who owns art, antiquities, cultural artefacts and even human remains taken by colonial powers over the past few centuries? From the so-called Elgin marbles removed from Greece to the cultural artefacts of Canada's First Nations displayed around the globe, there are growing demands for such items to be returned. Germany has agreed on guidelines for returning artefacts. France's president has said give it back. But the biggest colonial power, Britain, is dragging the chain. That's because the fabulous British Museum is stuffed full of treasures from around the former empire. The museum's clinging to laws that say it got all its things legally and says anyway, most of those things wouldn't be around now if they hadn't been rescued. At the same time, there's a push from Indigenous peoples to get the bones of their ancestors returned from museums and private collections that are holding them. New Zealand's been involved in this for the last 20 years, scouring the world for human remains of Māori and Moriori, tracking down their iwi and getting them repatriated. Where do these objects and tongue actually belong? And in many situations, it's not with museums. I'll be talking to Teriki Rangi Mamaku Ironside later in the podcast about his job knocking on museum doors. But first, I'm off to the Auckland Museum to talk to the Director of Collections and Research, David Reeves, about the ancient Greeks. We are always on the lookout for interesting exhibitions that are on the on the world circuit. So it's it's part of a ongoing program we've got to seek out international exhibitions to bring to Auckland. And how significant are the pieces in this exhibition? I mean, have they given us the leftovers or are there some really good pieces? Not at all, no. It's not leftovers. They're, they're amazing pieces. They are a selection from things that have both been on display and, and things that haven't been displayed even in London for many, many years. And there's 170 objects carefully curated by the British Museum with our input, but, but principally it's their show. It's kind of weird, isn't it, that the British Museum is loaning us an exhibition about Greeks. Is this an uncomfortable area for museums to talk about? Yeah, it's. Um, I think we were careful to have those conversations with the British Museum and we wanted the show to be about universal themes. Um, so looking at a culture that deals with, with war, conflict, 
athleticism, um, those sorts of things, prize giving, things that we do today, and just examining how a different culture did those. And it just happens that, that there's an extraordinary collection that represents those sorts of stories in the British Museum. Now, I say it just happens. Um, of course, there's a whole history of the um, British Empire going out to the world and, and gathering things up to, to put in the British Museum. So Stealing our stuff uh, and taking it. Well, it's not always, it wasn't always stolen. So, and, and yes, some of it was, was um, we would now think, is, is not the way we would do it now. Mm. But the material is there and we might as well enjoy it. And we're not talking about the real headline items which the Greek government and the Greek people have requested the back. Egg, the marbles. And yeah, that kind of thing. so the, yeah. the Parthenon mm. marbles. Um, and we also were very particular to make sure that none of the items we've borrowed are subject to active claims. Okay, so there was a great deal of thought put into this Absolutely. before it was arranged. Yeah. Okay. Have you had anyone sort of say to you, you know, surely this belongs in Athens? Yeah, there have been a few comments around that, I mean, and we you know, entirely expected that. I mean, I think museums are places for that dialogue. It's, you know, we, we, we collect... Are we the right place to collect things? Is the British Museum the right place to collect things? That, that's, a, that's a debate and a, and a, a discussion that, that's, that's part of our work. David Rees says, like zoos, museums are evolving. There's more and more discussion about indigenising museums, decolonising museums, and that doesn't mean shutting them down and emptying out the museums. What it means is being very conscious about our history, being very conscious about the way we collected things in the past, Museums, largely in this country, are, are a Victorian model of, of acquiring things en masse, arranging them by type, arranging them in different themes, and producing educational and other enjoyment from them. But the thing that that has overlooked for too long is who do they belong to, where do they actually come from, what are the feelings and, and significances of, that are felt by the people from whom they came. Yeah, there's a big challenge. So we've, we're getting an increasing number of requests from Iwi and Hapu who are interested in talking about the return of their, their taonga. Some of them come under the guise of treaty claims, and so we have occasional conversations with the Office of Treaty Settlements. Several years ago, we returned um, Rua Kenana's um, Mangopahatu flag as, as part of the Tuhoi settlement. That was an incredibly emotional experience, taking, taking that flag back to where it belonged. And that's been... One that's probably the most prominent one that we've we've been involved in, but there's but there's been others. We recently were involved in the return with Te Papa um, of Chatham Island material. That was a combination of of human remains, um, koiwi, but also um, a carved figure as well that was associated with the funerary. Processes. So do you have to make that assessment on every object? I mean, there, there's a big difference between skeletal remains, for example, that are being yep. repatriated all over the world, and um, you know perhaps a Chinese vase that was purchased. Mm-hmm. Where do you draw the line? I mean, does a Colin McCann painting only belong in New Zealand? Do we want those things back from overseas? How yeah, do you work well, that out? Well, I mean, the, the purpose of objects of all kinds, and whether they're, they're, they're documents or natural science specimens or, or human-made objects, they can have significance in many places and they can either be significant in their home or they can be like an ambassador, an emissary across the oceans, like the Greek collections are here. Um, you could think of them as ambassadors from the past who've come to um, you know, 
tell their story. I think we would want New Zealand's story told around the world. In fact, there are Tonga Māori sitting in collections all around the world. Not all of them are bad. Not all of them are desired to come home, in fact. But, but what is desired is to know about them, to know who's telling the story, to know whose authority is the story accurate, um, does it have the right warmth to it. So when we talk about repatriation, leaving the the subject of ancestors and you know yep. human remains aside, yep. do, do you feel like as long as we are being honest about where that came from and its origins and all the rest of it, then it's okay to to be that ambassador overseas? It is, with the authority and the, the agreement of those to whom it's most important. So in this case, iwi Māori um, should have a view on whether something remains overseas and whether it comes home or not. I mean, the, that's up to the other museums too, isn't it? I mean, if well, they've it paid is. So, for it, so there's, some, yeah. there's some negotiation to happen, but, but there's some really big shifts in museums around the world. There's, there's huge moves at the moment amongst many of the, all the French um, publicly funded museums to do inventories of all of their African sourced material, and President Macron has basically decreed that as much as possible should go home, go home to Africa. President Emmanuel Macron argues it's unacceptable that around 90% of Africa's artistic heritage is outside Africa and says French law should be changed to make restitution possible. Speaking in Burkina Faso, he said it was wrong for only Europeans and Americans to have access to African art. In five years, he wanted to start the process of temporary or definitive restitution. That's a real flip. Um, mm. A bit like, you know, we're, we're seeing the way zoos are completely changing the way they behave, their, their attitude to, to keeping animals and, and what's the purpose. Um, I think we're doing the same thing in museums. And it's, you know, what are we here for? What, are we, what is the purpose of collecting? Um, and making sure that those collections that we hold are here appropriately and that they're telling good stories and, and the right stories. Now then, of course, there's a debate about what's right. Um. But when you go to a zoo, when you take a kid to a zoo now, there's not as many animals when we were kids. You know, Mm -hmm. the elephants are about Mm -hmm. to go. Obviously, there's no polar bears, and you can see the reason for that in Auckland. But we do now have a, a, a more restrictive kind of series of exhibits at a zoo. Yeah, is it a double-edged sword? Yep. You know? and I think I think I mean to take the zoo example. Now the conservation story is much more prominent. All the the labelling and so forth is is about endangered species and what we're doing to to help um, restore habitats and restored biodiversity and so forth. In the past, zoos were about the exotic. They were look at this weird animal, you yeah. know. Look, look at look at this horse with stripes, you know. Yeah. Um, it's called a zebra, and to an extent, the Victorian model of museums was a bit like that too. It was about the other. Now, it wasn't necessarily as superficial as that because there was genuine desire to learn about other cultures. Welcoming back 111 Moriori skeleton remains and two Māori ancestral remains on Aotearoa soil. A return Hokotehi Moriori trust year Maui Solomon called a significant milestone for Moriori. I think any tribe, um, anyone bringing their ancestors home um, and taking them back to where they belong is probably the most important mahi that can be 
can be undertaken. That repatriation from museums in the US and Germany was part of a government-funded project that's been running now since 2003. Over that time, since 2003, we have successfully bought back from overseas institutions around uh, between 700 and 800 ancestral remains. Te Rangi Mamaku Ironside is Te Papa's acting head of repatriation. When I catch up with him, he's in Copenhagen. How do you track these down? Do you, I mean, do you just wander into a museum and say, yep, that's one of ours? In some, some instances, it does happen quite organically in, in that way. And, and Kiwis get around and they end up in collection rooms, back of house tours, uh, and all of these various interesting places where, where sensitive cultural objects are held. And so they usually advise us, you know, we came across some uh, ancestral remains uh, at this particular museum. But our usual process is one where we uh, reach out to to various institutions and we make a formal request, a formal uh, inquiry anyway, into their collections to see if they actually have any human remains that are associated with Aotearoa New Zealand, uh, Tawai Pāinama and the Chatham Islands Reko. That's the usual process, mm-hmm. but we also have quite a lot of uh, networks amongst researchers and curators around the various natural history museums around the world. And so there's usually some exchange of information that occurs at that level around um, identifying Māori and Māori ancestors. So you don't kind of spend hours poring over kind of lists and lists and lists of museum exhibits and things like that? Uh, well, you can, because quite often the registry information that we can receive is, can be incomplete. Um, and so you, you do need to go into the museums, into the archive sections, and just pour through some of the really old ledger books and accession reg- registers, just to get some clarity around the location, and also the um, the information that's associated with the ancestors. So it's, um, it can take a, a long while to find the information that you need. And then, so that's, um, that's the inquiry stage. And so once that inquiry stage is uh, is completed, then we and we're fairly confident that we can make a make a formal request. Then we make the formal request on behalf of our New Zealand government and Maori and Moriori people. And do they just these museums? Do they just let you go in and have a look, or do, is there a lot of um, negotiation involved? <laughs> um, some, uh, yeah, well, actually, most no, that's not true. Most, most, a lot of the time, we do actually have um, quite good relationships and a good reputation as well. Um, and so our our process for doing that, because we invest quite a lot of time, energy and care into developing the foundations for the relationships with the museums. Because, you know, the 70s, 80s and even the 90s, museums were quite resistant towards having a dialogue with Indigenous communities if there was a, an option or, or possibility that a formal request for repatriation would, would, would be made. Because obviously they want to hang on to their stuff, right? Oh, obviously. obviously uh, but also a really um, common, I don't know, excuse really, uh, or justification from their end back in the 70s and the 80s was a perceived risk of um, opening some floodgates and setting a precedent for um, many people around to make, make requests and to to demand for their cultural objects and their ancestors to be repatriated home, which, which of course, is just logical. Yes, (laughs) but you are only after ancestors, aren't you? You don't ask for other cultural objects 
you know, wooden spears or parts of marae or anything that's stashed around the world? Yeah, so um, when the Ministry of Culture and the New Zealand government, I think it was the Labour government, uh, Clark government, uh, had established a program, our scope was very clear that uh, we were only funded uh, to facilitate, to research and negotiate uh, the return of Māori and Māori ancestral remains and toimoko, mamafai tattooed uh, preserved heads. So that's really the uh, the scope of our program. So it doesn't include uh, objects and tonga Māori, such as whareinui, uh, carvings, ornaments or, um, or jewellery items like that but quite quite often there, there there can be museums that actually as part of a negotiation process they will offer up for return as well maybe some associated funerary objects that are collected at the same time so taken from burial caves or even um, modified human remains so these are um, could be classified now as Tonga Māori but uh, were previously fashioned from um, from human uh, human bone. Mm. Uh, so these are things like our flutes and um, and combs made from a, a skull cat. And did what happened around the turn of the century? Did the floodgates open? Well, what's been happening now is um, not so much uh, floodgates are, are, are opening, but attitudes are uh, attitudes are changing amongst museums themselves. And a lot of that work's been happening around this big massive movement among uh, museums overseas to um, decolonize both their uh, museum practices and policies and procedures as well as their uh, as well as their collections and how they actually care for them so uh, German institutions is a good example in in the 2000s in the early 2000s had started the process of uh, establishing some guidelines around how they can ethically care for objects that were uh, taken uh, associated with a colonial context. These are uh, objects from uh, indigenous communities that were collected and looted during their colonial period. So then this also includes um, human remains. And so uh, at the same time, there's also all of these other really interesting negotiations that are happening around uh, objects, such as what's making the headlines at the moment is the bronzes that were taken by the British in 1897 from the Kingdom of Benin. The British forces killed and destroyed, but they also looted on a massive scale. These objects, ripped from the palace, became souvenirs and were shipped all over the world. If you're in London, you can go and see these priceless treasures of the Benin Kingdom right now, the famous Benin bronzes. So uh, there's a lot of work that's happening around there. So attitudes are attitudes are changing there, and also just um, museums understanding their their role within communities and within uh, within societies as places of education, but also as as places they need to be fair in their practices. Mm. Are you you're not allowed to pay for these to get them back? Are you? When we're not allowed to pay, and it's not really uh, not really an option, not really uh, anything that we're interested in doing. So when we do have these negotiations, we do make a formal claim uh, with the mandate of the uh, New Zealand government and the, and the Māori and Māori people of, the, of New Zealand anyway. Um, and we make it quite clear that if they do support a claim to repatriate these ancestral remains, then our programme will cover any and all costs associated with hacking, uh, tracing, uh, customs, clearances, permits, um, and even going as far as sending across the delegation to undertake all of the um, cultural formalities for these uh, for these ancestors to return home, return home safely. And when you do repatriate things, mm. how do you figure out where they came from? 
Um, well, a lot of this is uh, archival research, so we can look into information with the, um, so I think, for example, donors. Uh, so people who have donated human remains uh, to a particular collection. Just working backwards, so it's a little bit of a forensic activity, uh, I guess. There's no actual DNA tracing. The remains are too fragile and the exercise would be problematic. But often there are diaries, correspondence or registers from explorers, for example, who may have raided burial grounds for artefacts and then sold them to various institutions spread around the world. Often we know where those collectors moved around while in New Zealand. But sometimes human Māori Moriori remains come back and there was absolutely no location. The only, the only information that is associated is that they were taken from New Zealand, you know, during the 1800s. And, and then what do you do with those pieces? So those sit in a particular, in, in a category of unprovenanced human remains. And so Te Papa has a wahi tapu, sacred repository, also actual, should also say Te Papa doesn't display or exhibit or uh, create public access for these ancestral remains. Has Auckland ever displayed human remains? A long, long time ago, I believe so. I mean, before my lifetime. Um, there are stories of that and there's, there's press um, reference to it, but it's a long time since that was viewed as appropriate. And do you have any out the back? Yes, we do. Yep. Where are they kept? And, and we're, they're kept in a very quiet, safe room very few people have access and, and when we do there are respectful protocols that are observed. We've got a team of two who are working full time on the programme to f- um, find the communities from which they came and also um, discuss the return. And that, That's a long slow process because it's quite a potent thing for, for iwi to, to receive their, their ancestors back and so discussions take a long time. Grief. We get a lot of grief and um, and anger, so it's, it's loaded with emotions, uh, grief and anger and sadness, but also joy because you know you think um, Maori have a, have a quite a strong enduring connection with with our place. and so when these ancestors are being re- re- returned back to their marae, it's just a just part of a recon- reconciliation process and restoring the um, the rights and the dignities personally of these of these ancestors that were taken and to also give the um give the uh, mama back to the back to the people to care for the ancestors. The stubborn British Museum is on to Papa's list for a repatriation claim, but this one's going to be a long job. We we we're still we're still technically in negotiations with the British Museum and um and um they are um What's the word? They, they they can be very very resistant, and especially as 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 clearly demonstrated by this whole situation with the Parthenon marbles, quite uh, crafty in, in in the way that they uh, they manage these situations. One does remain hopeful, and so you know, like because um they have Toymoko at the British Museum. We'll come back to them because you know, like I I believe a a no is a yes just waiting to happen, and so sometimes you just need to wait wait for the right conditions. Is it a bit sad that whereas there's this one repository where a lot of people go, London, that, that could diminish in the future, that you're going to have to go to all these places you want to see them in uh, real life? Yeah, and I think um, the repatriation programmes that are underway um, 
are unlikely to see empty museums anytime soon. I mean, I mean, if a museum determines that actually their job is done and they should close down, well, then that's for them to decide, and that might be what their community thinks is, you know, appropriate. But the reality is that most museums of our size have got more than 95% of the collections are not actively on display at any one time. So if a portion appropriately and willingly goes goes to another place, then there's still more. Um, and I think it'll be a long time before we see everything returning home. And in fact, I don't think we ever will because th- th- there is a desire for that interaction between objects and, and people will want that. There is a way that you can tell the stories of another culture without having stolen stuff in your museum. The Ancient Greeks exhibition at Auckland Museum runs until the end of October and look out for a big announcement from Te Papa soon on a major repatriation from the Natural History Museum in Vienna that concludes a campaign Māori have been running since the end of the Second World War. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Flo Wilson and produced by Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Tiariki Rangi Mamaku Ironside and David Reeves. Matewa.